Maximum Health with your host, Dr. Ken Gray. With over 20 years in healthcare, Dr. Gray is a doctor of oriental medicine and holistic physician fusing Eastern and Western healing. Dr. Gray is on staff at Jupiter Medical Center and in private practice with an office in Jupiter, Florida, where he resides. Dr. Gray enjoys being a physician as well as being an educator. His unique approach to holistic healing has taken him abroad to lecture in Baden-Baden, Germany, and treat sports professionals in Hawaii and Biarritz, France. He is co author of several books on food therapy and the founder of the annual Star Summit Talks at the Norton Museum of Art in Palm Beach, Florida. Now it's time for Maximum Health with Dr. Ken Gray. Welcome back, everyone. This is Maximum Health Radio, quality living with yours truly, Dr. Ken Gray. Thank you for joining us. Love you so much for listening in, whether it's podcast or or on a PRX or on the radio if you stay up late at 10, uh, 10 p.m. on Fridays and you're hanging out listening via tune-in or in the radio locally. Man, diehards. Love you. Um, so basically, uh, today's show, we have an awesome guest as usual, but today in the studio, which I love, I love that energy and ability to hang out with cool people and talk about health of different in different um, ways. And I think today falls under the environmental health. Um, subheading. <laughs> and we have Valerie Slack, who um, has been doing so much in the recovery efforts um, after Hurricane Ian, among other things. You are an architect by trade and obviously a humanitarian and artist by nature. Um, so we're going to meet Valerie Slack today and we're going to talk about not only where you come from, what you've done, and what you will continue to do, and also how. The environment is changing and how architect um, efforts and building and the way we view our integration of our domiciles or our structures, man-made structures with the environment needs to proceed. So that's the deeper sense. See, now you're getting a handle of where I go. All right. <laughs> you're asking for off-air stuff. I don't like to do that. I like to do everything on air because our listeners deserve to have that spontaneity and to feel like they're a part of the conversation. Excellent. Well, Dr. Gray, thank you very much for having me today. Mm-hmm. As you said, I'm an architect. Mm-hmm. Um, I am the owner of Native Design Architecture in Fort Pierce, Florida, mm-hmm. and I'm also the president of the uh, American Architects American Institute of Architects mm-hmm. Treasure Coast chapter. Love it. And I am I'm a person with a heart for community and for serving others. Okay. And that feeds into the notion of a citizen architect, which isn't something that people talk about very much. But basically, it's people who have a certain training and background, an interest in uh, taking care of the health, safety, and welfare of the public, which is what we do as professionals. But we do it from the point of view of the design world and the development world and thinking about how to keep people safe, how to give them healthy environments that give them a sense of comfort and enjoyment, um, things that they can appreciate aesthetically in our design work, um, but the, the comfort of knowing that they're in a safe place that gives them a peaceful haven for their lives, whether it's the place where they work, the place where they play, the place where they serve others, the place where they worship, all of these things come together. Mm-hmm. And it falls under the bigger umbrella of of planning in a thoughtful way for how we build and where we build. And this was very much driven home in the last week 
where I spent my time in Fort Myers Beach and on Sanibel Island. Um, it was a very powerful experience that I'd love to share with you and your listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, so back up a bit. What made you pursue this form of architecture? Because obviously, you know, you're, you're putting titles that I've never heard of, and I'm sure our listeners have never heard of, and uh, the aspect that, it, that architecture could be um, approached from a civil standpoint, civilian, you know, driven, and um, it it makes me think that when you look at environment, and you look at the change in weather, and you look at hurricanes, and, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's tsunamis, and all these things that we have to deal with, because nature always wins, um, and you look at sci-fi, that's where my mind goes, right? <laughs> I think of science fiction movies, and I think of Star Wars, and I think of all of these worlds that were created in the minds of others and how the possibility of architecture was driven by the change of environment. I'm going there because you're, you're, ta- you're about to get into what you've seen and how the destruction affected these lives. Absolutely. And obviously all of us, by by nature of connection, whether we like to believe it or not, and how this is going to change the trajectory of how things are built in the future. Yes, very, very true, very okay. true. So as architects, it's our responsibility to build safe structures mm-hmm. for our clients. So in that sense, we serve the public in that our built work is for people. Okay. Uh, some of it is more public projects like government centers and schools and and places of worship, and then other things are more privately oriented, um, industrial centers and office buildings and people's homes and hotels and things like that. So in in each of those things, we have to build to the standards set by our building codes. Okay. And those are constantly evolving, just as nature is constantly evolving. So there's this back and forth in our understanding of the environment around us Mm -hmm. and how we respond to it in built form. So think back to 1992 when Hurricane Andrew hit Miami. Right. And the mass destruction that fo- followed leveled in that it. storm's way. Absolutely. Leveled it. Absolutely it was, leveled it. Yeah. It was incredible. Yeah. Um, I am a sixth-generation Floridian. Mm-hmm. So my family has been here since long before Flagler built the railroad. Okay. So you, they, yeah. And you long, got, yeah. multi-generational history of my understanding of the Florida environment. Right. My father studied as a marine biologist and worked here in the state of Florida his whole career. Uh, His grandfather um, was the surveyor that laid out the town of Venice, Florida, on the west coast, not far from where Hurricane Ian blew through and made landfall and created havoc over there. So I have this heart for our coastline for our environment and for the people who live here and the way we develop. So we look at how to develop buildings and design them in a way that's safer and more responsive to the weather and the way the climate is changing and the way we're having more frequent and more powerful storms coming at us from all sides. So the way we do that, and we saw it in in Miami, was we change the way we write the code so that we build stronger. We okay. build in a way that's more what we call resilient. Okay. Able to 
take a beating from Mother Nature, from natural disasters, and from the everyday, and survive that with as little damage as possible so that we as the building's users, as the people who live there, as the people who call that place home, um, have the, the security of knowing that we'll, we will be safe. Right. Now, you're, you're going over to Fort Myers and you're looking through the eyes of, well, of a human being, which sees suffering and sees loss, right? So that's yeah. one. However, now put the other hat on, which is the architect hat. You look at these demolished homes and buildings, and we're in 2022, which is, think about it, ridiculous that we're still having this sort of structures that mm -hmm. haven't been upgraded or, you know, or when the levee broke in Louisiana or, you know, things like that. Yes. Like, what, you know, we should have flying cars, much less, you know, <laughs> broken <laughs> levees, right? So, so what do you look at besides looking at the demolished materials and saying, oh, there's they use this wood, we need to upgrade to this, or we need to move to concrete, or, or maybe there shouldn't be so many straight edges, you know? Uh, like, what is it that you start to assess, and what are the first things that come to your mind that we should be changing? So, I put on my architect hat. In okay. this case, a literal hard hat. Okay. I put that on my head, along with all of my boots and right. safety vests and all of my gear, and pass through the checkpoint and cross the bridge that's been rebuilt by the Army Corps of Engineers so that people can get out to that island at all. Okay. Cross those waters out to this fragile barrier island and see the impact of this storm. My architecture practice focuses on sustainable and resilient architecture. Okay. So what that means is I'm trying to emphasize with my clients and in the built form of the projects that we do together how to make these buildings better able to withstand nature's forces whether they be fire or windstorm or storm surge and have them be sustainable as well which feeds into this and we'll talk about that in just a minute but in the resiliency side of things in the durability of a building to withstand all of nature's energy Walking around Ground Zero in Sanibel and Fort Myers Beach was the most instructive and amazing lesson in resilient building you could ever imagine. Mm. This building stood, this building did not. This building stood, this building did not. On one hand, you have high-rise towers that were built on very secure foundations with all the units elevated well above the storm surge level. They did really well. Okay. There was debris from things that had been constructed at the ground level that were designed to break away. And um, from slab, concrete slabs underneath the building where they would park cars that the storm surge would undermine, they would crack and fail. Okay. And those were designed to do that. Then there were thousands of single family homes that were built on the ground level that were completely demolished by the storm surge. And these were the older These, these were the older yeah. homes that were built before the codes that developed out of our experiences right. with Hurricane Andrew. Right. Now, and, and granted, the architects then that built those homes, old Florida homes we call them, right, when we see them, are, sh are shorter. They're not as high, they're, they're, right. They're, right? Their height is lower, not a lot of big windows. 
uh, most of the time is from what I think of. I think of they, they were trying to say, okay, if we if we built lower to the ground and if we built with not a lot of windows to blow out, then typically we won't get blown away. I mean, was this part of the concept of the old Florida homes? Well, I can't say that there is a unifying concept entirely, but I'll make right. some observations about what I did see. Okay. So buildings that were built at grade generally suffered the most damage because they were inundated. Storm surge of 13 feet, they were completely Covered. submerged yeah, yeah. and destroyed. Things like propane tanks, refrigerators, even dumpsters, cars, these were all swept by the storm surge and became torpedoes. These projectiles leveled houses. There were some older homes also that were built on creosote pilings, like a telephone pole, if you will. Mm -hmm. The houses were built up somewhat, maybe eight or 10 feet above the ground, mm -hmm. thinking that that would keep them safe from flooding. But they were built with these pilings that are wood structures. And over the years, rainfall and water washing across the surface of their property caused the wood to degrade, to rot, right at the ground level. So the piling was safe under the ground mm -hmm. and above the ground, but right at grade where it was subjected to extra weathering, it became necked, kind of like an hourglass. You know how that hourglass has kind of a waist in the yeah, middle? Yeah. That's what happened with these wood pilings. So then the storm surge comes along, brings with it the debris from all the other buildings that's destroyed, slams into those pilings, and those raised up homes were just pushed right away. Some of them ended up out in the canals. Some of them ended up off off their, their property and in someone else's yard. Um, it was incredible, the things that I saw. And it was really instructive how we need to follow how, well, really, it was a good lesson in how our current codes have come such a long way. Mm. So we learned in Hurricane Andrew to build in a more durable way and to build up above the storm surge level. And then the state of Florida went from following the old standard building code and followed the example that Miami set by, by writing their own code and then enacted that across the state. Okay. And so we've seen much, much, much more resilient construction taking place. A lot of the newer homes did very well, but we still have ways that we can improve. Okay. So when you think about um, storm surge and you think about water and, and all of that, the other aspect to me seems to be wind it seems like the miles per hour are picking up more regularly. So where you used to have the hurricanes that were typically the two, category two, three, we're seeing almost most of the hurricanes go to four or five. I don't have statistics on yeah, how I, many of I, these I just, types just of storms. From my, my sh I don't have six generations of, <laughs> right, <laughs> but, right. but in my short you know, life of 48 years and then a over 20 something years of it living here in Florida I've just seen a little bit more frequency of the higher category so that makes me think that there has to be a, a big consideration for wind true and how do you do that like how do you do that with architecture uh, well, and keeping the people in mind and keeping 
safety and resiliency and sustainability and all of these important well, items. They are really important and they all are interconnected. Mm -hmm. There's this there's this intersection taking place. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing data showing that the sea surface temperatures are rising, mm -hmm. which encourages stronger and more fre more frequent hurricanes. Right, okay. And, um, you know, in general, people tend to have short memories and may, be, may get a little bit complacent. In fact, I heard one, one of the Fort Myers Beach residents talking about, boy, you know, we never expected to have a hurricane like this because we had such a close brush with Hurricane Charlie and we really dodged a bullet there, but then Hurricane Ian came. But now we should be good because that should be a 500-year storm. Mm. I think that notion is very dangerous. Okay. And we need to recalibrate ourselves to recognize that um, we can't be complacent. Mm -hmm. We can't expect that just because we got hit this time, we're not going to get hit next time. Right. Look at what happened to Fort Pierce and Jensen Beach in 2004. Mm -hmm. We had a direct hit from two hurricanes in a row only a few weeks apart. Right. It was devastating. And my response personally to seeing that destruction in my community was to want to be able to serve others. Right. And that's what I've been doing. I went through the American Institute of Architects and took the uh, safety assessment program training so that I could go and help and put my training to use to help assess the safety of all the buildings in the area. Because for all these folks to get back into their homes where Hurricane Ian has caused such yeah. havoc, someone has to go through and take a look at every single building to make sure that it's safe to enter. And that's way more work than any building inspector staff. And, and it's handle. a point that most people don't consider unless you've been through it. Right. So the Army Corps gets together and calls people like the, the AIA, and they call out to their members who have been trained to do this work. And we answered the call. We went out and put on our hard hats and got our boots on the ground and went from house to house determining, is it safe to go in here? Is it red? You can't enter. Is it yellow? Mm -hmm. You can go in and get your things, but stay out generally. Is it green and it's safe to go back in and start rebuilding? So when you've had thousands of buildings impacted by a storm like this, it takes a lot of people yeah. to, to rebuild. And, and you, yourself, and, and I'm, I'm guessing other people like you volunteer Yes. in some cases. That is true. And you're one that obviously does, but it takes, it, it takes the heart and it takes the care and consideration and obviously the immense skill <laughs> to be able to do that, but the heart to go and volunteer. So you have volunteered for Ian and other places as well. Well, this is actually my first effort doing these inspections. Okay. And it was such an eye-opening and wonderful and rewarding effort for yep. me personally. It was so educational and helpful to what I do as an architect so that I can do a better job. But I, but I take it from there. And I've already reached out to my colleagues mm. that we need to get together an interdisciplinary team to look at what's the best way to develop in the wake of Hurricane Ian. What can we do better so that this doesn't happen again? Yeah. You know, this is a tremendous economic hit. Yeah. It's a tremendous 
personal hit. It continues to be a... Yeah. You know, tremendous economic hit every time, you know. There were people waiting in line at the food trucks where they were handing out free food to the relief workers and the residents who were without homes or, mm. or otherwise in the area, just trying to recover. And I heard them talking about having lost everything, yeah. that they got back to their property, there was nothing left, and that insurance had been so expensive that they couldn't afford coverage. Right. So these people have lost everything. And continues to get more expensive. You know, uh, and just to speak to the relief effort, you know, um, I love that I would walk into places here in Jupiter, Florida, and I'm sure up the coast, everyone's sending over to the other coast. Um, A big, you know, shout out to Modern Juice, uh, where I get my juices. They have the Dr. Ken Super 6 on the menu and everything. So I go in there in the morning, I get my juice, and every day there's like people bringing piles of things, and then they're, they're volunteering to take it over to the to the West Coast. So I just have to say that, um, you know, I've witnessed it firsthand, but it's uh, it's still hard when you're those people that are in need. Absolutely. Mm. The flip side of all the destruction yeah. is you get to see the most beautiful side of humanity in mm. the aftermath mm. and the recovery where people are coming together to help. And there are literally thousands of people there yeah. working on the recovery effort from as far away as the New York Fire Department coming right. down and setting up operations there. The Army Corps brought in people from as far away as Seattle and Honolulu right. to do these inspections. And there are folks from all over, all walks of life, there in these relief worker camps, trucking into the sites every day and working together. So I, I, I love thinking about all of the energy and effort that goes into this relief effort. And I kind of look at it in comparison. You think about the tremendous energy that was unleashed by this hurricane in just a few short hours. And now, all of the energy that we little ants Mm -hmm. have to bring together to move every grain of sand back and to get it together. And it's going to require patience and effort. It's gonna take months and years Mm -hmm. to get it back to where it was. But in the meantime, what's the smartest way to rebuild? Mm -hmm. Is the answer continuing to build the same way we did before on these very vulnerable barrier islands that centuries ago were nothing more than sandbars. Right. Is is it inevitable that people's memories are so short that we just keep building there because that's what we do? So it's time to bring together the right minds to really have a dialogue and come up with some good policy for how to deal with the aftermath. We need local leadership. We need architects, engineers, people in the insurance industry, people in the economic side of things, environmentalists, climatologists, uh, property law experts, all kinds of people from all over to come together and find the best solution. And as an architect, this is what we do. We are the people that bring together the team of thought leaders and cherry pick the best ideas and find ways to give and take to find the best solution to the problem. And that's what I intend to be involved in moving forward with the Hurricaneian recovery. And, and we're so happy to have you located here on the Treasure Coast, and we're fortunate. But it sounds like what you will do will ripple, have a rippling effect throughout the whole country at some point. Well, certainly throughout the state of Florida. Yeah. We saw the same thing after Hurricane Andrew. But I'm just saying, just like you're gleaning, you know, 
all the information and what you're seeing from all over because that's just the nature of an artist of a, of a person that's an art yeah I think you're an artist I think architects are definitely artists um, and but you're you're taking that information and you bring it here I'm sure people will eventually take all of that you do and all that you're building and bring it to other places as well I hope so yeah I, I would far rather set a new paradigm that really works mm -hmm. that people can follow even if it's just kind of a kit of ideas mm -hmm. to to go behind with your specific needs and design something new but that works in those new ideas just like sustainable de design does mm -hmm. we try to design buildings that are more self-reliant and mm -hmm. independent that are more protective that use less resources and energy and you know can operate on their own even if there's a power outage can collect their own rainwater, all those sorts of things. And in doing so, we reduce our demand for energy, our demand for materials, and help in the overall solution to make development more possible for more people in the future. I love all it. these thousands of people coming to Florida. Yes. Where are we going to put them all? How <laughs> that are is we the big question. How, how are we going to come yeah. up with enough materials to house them all yes, and yes. enough power to run their houses? How, how do people get in touch with you to contribute? And, and well, they are welcome to reach out to me at uh, studio at nativedesign.us, mm -hmm. like United States. Yes. And uh, I will get back to them with answers to their questions and try to connect them up with the right people to help them. I love this. Well, this has been Valerie Slack, and I feel inspired, enlightened, and happy about the future of architecture, thanks to you. Um, I really appreciate you tuning in and listening to us, and obviously you can reach out to Valerie Slack for more questions or answers. And uh, this has been another Maximum Health Quality Living brought to you in part by Vell Health. Uh, if you haven't downloaded your Vell Health app today, do so for five-pillar approach to life. Start your day with Vell, vellhealth.com.